Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Can someone please just give me a mic check? Uh, make sure everyone can hear me. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een amma ba'd. So welcome to uh, another week of QP and inshallah ta'ala today we will start with the um, the tafsir of Surah Al-Sharh. Before we do that, uh, just a recap from what we did last week and then we had a, a research question as well. So if you uh, have the answer to last week's research question which was basically concerning the last verse of Surah Al-Teen which we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when, we, when Allah says, أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِيَحْكَمِ الْحَاكِمِينَ Whether it's, what is the ruling of responding to that, uh, for a person to reply in the affirmative or something. So um, if, if anyone got any answers regarding that or found anything in terms of their research, please share that with us now on the portal, inshallah, and then we can, um, we can see basically what people have and we can discuss that point. That was the uh, outstanding point from, from last week's class. But in terms of the... Um, in terms of the uh, the uh, recap for what we did last week, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the last few verses of Surah Al-Teen, as we mentioned last week, Allah Azza wa Jal is, uh, tells us that those people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says then go into the lowest of the law, as we said, which uh, we have two opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir concerning the meaning of the lowest of the law. Those who said that it refers to the frailty of old age and becoming senile, and those who said that it refers to how fire and the punishment of the fire. And Allah then makes an exception and He says, الصالحات, Except for those who believe and do righteous deeds, and then they will have a great reward. And we said that the position of the scholars of tafsir, or some of them anyway, was that that exception to that previous verse is the exception in terms of Allah giving them the full reward. And ajrun غَيْرُ mamnoon means a reward that is not deficient, that is full. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives people the reward even if they are unable for a valid excuse or reason to be able to do what they would normally be doing otherwise. And then Allah says, So therefore what will make people deny the resurrection? And we said that a deen according to the majority of the scholars of tafsir refers to Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Because as Allah mentions elsewhere in the Quran, the word ad-deen is one of the names of Yawm Al-Qiyamah as Allah says in Surah Fatiha, as we all know, Maliki Yawm Al-Deen. And then Allah Azza wa concludes with this verse, أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِأَحْكَمِ الْحَاكِمِينَ Is Allah Azza wa not the most decisive of judges? And we did the tafsir of this verse, but the question that was outstanding was, uh, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we read this verse, or verses similar to it, like the last verse of Surah Al-Qiyamah, أَلَيْسَ ذَلِكَ بِقَادِرٍ عَلَىٰ إِنْ يُحْيَى الْمَوْتَىٰ Or the verse, أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِكَافِنَ عَبْدَهُ All of these verses, then what is our position in them? Uh, and just before we go on to that, one of the points that I, I, I think I failed to mention last week, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah ta'ala, he says that these types of verses in which Allah mentions a double negative, or we may have even mentioned it, I don't remember now, but either way, where there is a double negative, then in the Arabic language, a double negative means a positive, meaning that it is a rhetorical question. When Allah asks a question, even though it is asked in, in the, uh, in the uh, form of, it being a question, is Allah not? Why right? is Allah not? It's like a question that seems to need an answer, but actually because of the double negative, what is the double negative? The alif, the a, which is the hamza istifham, the hamza of question, 
and the laysa, which is to negate, or in other parts in the Quran, alam sometimes. Why right? alam? Uh, those types of double negatives, because both are to negate, one is to open a question, which gives the possibility of negation, and the other one actually negates, because lam and laysa are to negate, or one of the meanings of those words is to negate something. The double negative, in essence, means a positive. The double negative, in essence, means a positive, meaning that Allah is actually establishing what he is saying. So when Allah says, is Allah not the most decisive of judges? The meaning of the verse is that Allah indeed is the most decisive of judges. And it is one of the uh, ways that the Arabs use in terms of their balagha and the eloquence and so on in order to establish a principle. Right? And that's the meaning of this. So the question therefore was referring to this issue. Uh, is it allowed to respond? And if you do respond, in which situation can you respond? So let's see what we have. Uh, Muhammad says we internalize the answer with of course in Arabic, which is basically bala. Uh, Sumaira asks, or Sumaira answers and says, I think you asked with regards to salah, the position of the Imam at Mumun Farid had to respond. Uh, Nawafil prayers, no issue. Obligatory prayers, there is a difference of opinion, it's classed as kalam and nas, or from the genus of salah, it was sunnah to do so by the imam and the ma'moom, we'd have numerous narrations saying so. Uh, okay, alright, so the issue is whether it's something, number one, which is established in the sunnah, and then number two, uh, in terms of if it, if it isn't established in the sunnah, then what do we do, we do uh, instead? So the narration that's mentioned, uh, as, as I think Sumer, I think that's probably the one that you're referring to, perhaps, or maybe not even. Uh, but one, or it is similar to it anyway, um, in particular regards to this verse anyway, because there are other similar verses, as we mentioned, like the verse in Surah Qiyamah, I think that's the one that's being referred to in Abu Dawood. But this particular verse in the end of Surah Tutin, uh, the narrations that are mentioned regarding it, as Ibn Hajar Ta'ala and others mention, are not authentic. They are not authentic from the Prophet From those narrations is what is clicked by Imam Tirmidhi in his jami'ah. That a Bedouin man once said that I heard Abu Huraira say that whoever reads Surah Al-Teen was Zaytun and then reads the last verse, أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِيَحْكَمِ الْحَاكِمِينَ Then they should say, بَلَى وَأَنَا عَلَى ذَلِكَ مِنَ الشَّاهِدِينَ right? They should say, indeed, that is the case, meaning that indeed Allah is the most decisive of judges and I am from those who bear witness to that. Right? That's the statement of Abu Huraira, but that is a weak hadith, and it is weak because the man who narrates this is a Bedouin man that's not known, it's just some random Bedouin man, that's that's actually in the chain of narration, that a Bedouin man said, I heard Abu Huraira say, and as we know from the principles of hadith, is that we must know who the narrators are, right, generally speaking, we must know who they are, and if you don't know, if it's a question mark, if it's a unknown entity, unknown individual, then that is something which automatically brings weakness into the chain of narration. And similar to it are other narrations that are mentioned. All of them are weak. That the Prophet ﷺ, he said something himself. But just because something is not authentically reported, it doesn't mean that as an asal or that as a, an issue itself, that it is automatically disregarded. There's a number of issues in the sunnah that aren't authentically reported, but the scholars have positions and they make uh, their own uh, deductions using the evidences that are available and so on. That's something which is, which is well known in the, in the principles of our sharia, as I think we're all familiar with. Uh, the position of, of a number of scholars, therefore, because it is reported on a number of the Salaf that they would say that, that they would say Bala when they would come across these types of verses. So this is just an example. Similar verses 
follow the same ruling. Like the last verse of Surah Al-Qiyamah, like the verse in, uh, in, in uh, Ali sallallahu bi-kafin abda in Surah Al-Zumar, like similar verses similar to them. That when you read them, for you to say bala is something which is allowed, even in salah, uh, especially if it is a nafil salah, if it is a nafil salah, uh, or uh, whether you're from the, whether you're the, uh, whether you're the imam, or whether you're praying by yourself, if it is a nafil salah, then it is something which you should, or it is allowed to do, and that's just because of the general hadith that we have that the Prophet وسلم, would respond to his recitation. When, as we know, when he would come across a verse of mercy, he would ask Allah for his mercy, or a verse of reward, he would ask Allah for reward. When he would come across a verse of punishment, he would seek refuge in Allah from that reward, from that punishment. When the command was given to praise Allah and glorify Allah, or thank Allah, the Prophet would do so. So he would pause and he would actually do that, and that is part of the way that we uh, interact with the Quran in those types of situations. And so that general uh, sunnah and practice establishes for us a principle. And other similar things can follow in that vein as well. The only issue that remains, this is the position of a number of the scholars uh, most uh, recently in our time, is the position of Shaykh ibn Uthaymeen, rahimahullah ta'ala, and there's a number of fatawa regarding that. The issue that then remains is if you're the person in the prayer and you're not the imam, you're the ma'mum, you're in the congregation, you're praying behind the imam and the imam is reciting. If it is a fard salah, uh, generally speaking, it's probably best, and even in nafil salah, if the Imam does not leave a gap to do this, then it's best to leave it. Because by responding, you are not listening to the Imam's recitation or the Quran being recited, but rather you are responding. Especially if the Imam is reciting fast and is not leaving that gap. And that's what Shaykh Ta'ala said. He said in his fatwa that if it's something which is going to distract you from the recitation of the Quran and from listening to the Imam, then it's best to leave it. Uh, and if it's something which uh, you, uh, which you can uh, do both, meaning the imam leaves a gap, or you can do it very quickly in the sense that it's not because you're that attentive, and you can do it, and it's not going to distract you or diminish from you listening to the to the recitation of the imam. Then it is something which is permissible, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says uh, knows best. In terms of it being allowed or mouthing it without sound, you. Read it the way that you would read anything in, in terms of a jama'ah when you are part of the congregation and the imam is the one reciting, whether he's reciting out loud or not. So when you're reading by yourself in salah, it's duhr or asr or whatever, that type of recitation where you don't read it out loud that other people can hear it, but at the same time it is something which is audible to yourself, meaning there is a movement of lips and the movement of the tongue because otherwise if there is no movement of the mouth in general of the tongue, then that is not considered recitation. And a common mistake that people have in their salah, especially in the silent prayers, is that they read with their lips sealed, right? They're reading in their mind. So it's like, and they're reading, but it's in their mind. Nothing moves, no lips, no tongue, nothing. That is not called recitation, it's not called reading. The word qira'ah in the Arabic language necessitates the movement of lips and the movement of the tongue. And so that's an important point to mention here. And so likewise, anything that goes in that vein, or anything which is similar to that in the salah follows the same principle. So you don't say it out loud because it's not your place to say bala out loud or anything like that. That's not the place unless it is specifically mentioned in the sunnah. Like for example, the tasbih when the imam makes a mistake that the men say subhanallah, something like that. That's established as a precedent in the sunnah. Generally, otherwise speaking, that's not something which is done. It's not a place where you speak out loud, but it's something which you do in the way that you would uh, recite other uh, other parts of the salah and ruku' and sujood and so on where you move the tongue and it's something which perhaps you yourself can hear it but it's not something which is necessarily audible audible to anyone else and Allah Azza wa Jal 
knows best. So that's the research question that we had last week, and inshallah ta'ala, that brings us on to Surah Al-Sharh. But before I do that, I have an announcement to make. And that is that, inshallah ta'ala, one of the things that we're going to be doing, and as you know now, for uh, we've been doing this for three years, one of the things that we wanted to do, or we have been doing, is to have a number of specials, right? So we do a special, recently we did one on Waqf al-Ibtida, we've done one on Qiraat, we've done some on some of the books of Tafsir, like Jalalain and, and uh, Tabari, we were speaking about the, the biographies and the and the methodologies of the scholars, uh, Rahimahumullah, and so on. One of the things that I wanted to do was actually go through a classical text on Ulum al-Quran uh, and Tafsir and speak about it in, in a bit more of a structured way, where we do a reading and we do a light commentary. So it's not something which is uh, which is... Uh, you know, it's not going to be an in-depth, very long, you know, you know, weeks on end thing, but it's a classical text that we go through, which would be primarily in Arabic, therefore, and it's something which we do a light commentary on, speaking about the main po- uh, points. I think it is something which is worthwhile doing, inshallah ta'ala. So the way that that's going to be done is that it's going to be, inshallah ta'ala, at the beginning of March. So the first Monday will be on a Monday evening, same time, so 8 p.m. UK time. Uh, the first Monday of March, which I believe is... The 8th, the 8th of March, inshallah ta'ala. And it will probably be more, be more than two or three weeks. So each Monday, probably for about two to three lessons. And we'll go through a classical text with a commentary on it, inshallah. The text that we're going to be going through is known as the uh, poem of a Zamzami. Manzumatu Zamzami in Tafsir. Uh, Imam Zamzami is a famous Shafi'i scholar that lived in Mecca in the 10th century. And he's someone who has a famous poem called, and it's named after him. It's called the poem of a Zamzami in Tafsir. Uh, and that's something which you can find. It's not available in English, as far as I know, it's not been translated. But in Arabic, it is, it is widely available. And so you can get a PDF. You can probably buy it if you, if you live in a place where there's a good Arabic Islamic bookshop. Uh, then that's something which they should probably have as well. Uh, it will be in the Quran section, in the Tafsir or Ulum al-Quran section. And that's something which we're going to go through, inshallah ta'ala. If that's something which you're interested in, then if you're on our Telegram group, which I hope that inshallah ta'ala all, all of you are on, uh, what we're going to probably do in the next few days is start another Telegram group just specifically for this. So I don't want to bombard the existing group because the, the you know, what's already going on there is, is very good. We don't want to take away from that. And this is something which is open to all, but it's not necessary. You don't have to do this if it's not something which you want to do. It's not something which... Uh, and it's going to be not on the portal either. So it's going to be done via Zoom link. So it's going to be a Zoom class. The way that it's going to be, it's going to be on a Zoom class link uh, broadcast to YouTube. So for those of you that are interested, and this is just for the QP students mainly, for those of you that are interested when the new Telegram group opens, inshallah, in the next few days, uh, the link will be posted in the existing Telegram group. You can then uh, join the the new Telegram channel kind of group, whatever it's called, uh, for the tafsir of of the reading of a Zamzami's poem in tafsir. And from there, you'll be given the Zoom link. So for those of you that want to, uh, are interested, you can com- come onto the Zoom call with me and that way we can have a bit more interaction, inshallah ta'ala, you can ask questions because the reading is going to be in Arabic. So we're not going to do a word-by-word translation. So it's probably good if you have a little bit of Arabic under your belt and it's poetry as well, so it's not just like even reading normal Arabic. But we will be going through the main points anyway, so it's not a major issue if you don't understand Arabic very well, but but it will allow you to, to help with that, inshallah. And if it's something which you are able to do and you can attend all of them, 
I have an ijaz in this book that goes back to the uh, the author Ta'ala as well. So maybe that's something which we can do as well. But it will be broadcast onto YouTube. So if you miss it, you can't make it, or you don't want to be on the Zoom call or whatever it may be, or you want to pass it on to others. So it's not just specifically to QP students. Maybe some people don't really want to attend the lessons of QP, but this is something which would be for them and it's not much commitment, a couple of weeks, and you think that they would benefit, then they can come onto the YouTube channel, uh, which will post as, as well. And, um, and you can ask them just to watch it from there. But for the students and the ijazah will be just for the people on the Zoom call. So it won't be something which is given openly. And there's a way of getting that ijazah. You have to attend each lesson from beginning to end and make sure that you're attentive. And there's going to be some kind of a, a declaration that you've done that. And then inshallah ta'ala, that's something which we will do. So if you're not already on the Telegram existing channel, Jazakallah khair for posting that link. Solange, then please uh, get onto that. And then inshallah, in the next few days, you'll hear about that inshallah ta'ala as well and like i said inshallah two to three lessons maybe an hour an hour and a half each and we'll be done that's going to be from the first monday of march so in about three odd four weeks and then um uh, from 8 p.m 8 p.m uk time i think maybe two to three lessons i think but we'll see how we go inshallah ta'ala and uh and that's going to be something which we do and if it works well and you know people enjoyed it and you like that kind of thing then inshallah maybe we can do more of that uh, going forward where we take small texts and we do just a reading and a commentary rather than just sticking to a QP. So one of our objectives as you know is not just to do the tafsir but to do associated related sciences and things that you need in order inshallah ta'ala to build up your tafsir skills. So I think this would be something good. So uh, this isn't something which uh, I will probably mention again maybe next week with more details but hopefully by then Everything will be on the Telegram group. That's where you're going to get this information. That will be your main place to get this information. I'm not going to spend every week five, ten minutes yani, going through this. Um, the class will be, so the reading will be in Arabic, right? The reading of the poem, because the poem is in Arabic, but the class will be in English. So my uh, commentary will be in English and we'll speak about the main points in English. But obviously, the actual reading itself, because the reading has to be done in Arabic and even for the Ijazah, the Ijazah, the book's in Arabic, so it needs to be a reading in Arabic. Um, but it's something which will be done in, in Arabic in terms of the reading. Uh, but in terms of the uh, the commentary and the explanation and everything else, that will be done in English. Okay. So, inshallah, I hope that's clear. If there's any questions, you can ask me at the end. Uh, but in, otherwise, let's, inshallah, move on to our tafsir. So we're on tafsir surah al-sharh. Tafsir of surah al-sharh. And this is a uh, surah that I think many of us are familiar with. It's something which we are very familiar with. So, our introduction to this surah, as we always do, begins with the names of the surah. The first of those names by which the surah is known, and it is the most common name, and the name that we have settled upon in our time, and that is that it is called Surah Al-Sharh. Called Surah Al-Sharh. And this is mentioned in a number of the books of Tafsir. Ibn Abi Hatim mentions in his Tafsir Al-Tha'labi, Al-Wahidi, Ibn Atiyah, Siyuti, Rahimahumullah. All of them mention one of the names of the surah, or they refer to this surah as being Surah Al-Sharh. The second name by which it is known is Surah Alam Nashrah, the opening two words of the first verse of the surah, Surah Alam Nashrah. And this is mentioned by a number of the scholars of Tafsir Al-Farra, and Abdul Razak Sanani, and Abdullah ibn Mubarak, and Imam ibn Hajar, because Ibn Imam al-Bukhari uh, mentions it in this way as well, and Imam al-Tirmidhi, and Ibn Hazm, and Imam al-Tabari, and al-Hakim, and Ibn Kathir, and al-Shawkani. In fact, you will find many of the scholars of Tafsir refer to this surah as Surah Alam Nashrah. Surah Alam Nashrah. The third name by which it is known 
is Suratul Inshirah. Suratul Inshirah. Right? And Suratul Sharh, Sharh and Inshirah uh, and Alam Nashrah all basically mean the same thing. And it's all referring to the expansion, right? When Allah Azza says, Alam Nashrah laka sadaq, do we not expand for you your chest, meaning your heart? That's what the word Sharh refers to, that expansion. So Sharaha and Insharaha. And, 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 and these are all different words to essentially say the same thing. There's obviously a slight difference in the exact meaning, but it is essentially the same thing. And uh, from the scholars who use this as the name of the surah is Ibn Qutaybah and Ibn al-Jawzi. Ibn Qutaybah has a, a famous book that he wrote. He's one of the earliest scholars, the earliest scholars to write on Gharib al-Quran. And Gharib al-Quran is something which we do and it's something which we need to do a special on inshallah ta'ala at some point because it's a very important science that actually many people uh, neglect, and that is speaking about the unfamiliar words. And even amongst the Arabs, there is there are many words in the Qur'an that are gharib to them. Gharib means something strange, right, unfamiliar. They are unfamiliar to them because they're not used in everyday Arabic language. So the words, like even in Surah Al-Falaq, like for example, waqab and ghasiq, right, these are words that the Arabs don't use in their day-to-day speech. Wal-'adiyati dabha, like what does this refer to? And so these are words that even the Arabs struggle with. And so the scholars from the very early generations started to write books on what is called Gharib al-Qur'an. From amongst uh, the most famous of them is Ibn Qutaybah's book on this, on this particular science of Qur'an, uh, in, in the science of Gharib al-Qur'an. And Ibn al-Jawzi also used the name Suratul Inshirah. So these are the three names by which it is known. Surah Al-Sharh, Surah Alam Nashrah, and Surah Al-Inshirah. And all of them have a very similar meaning. And Allah Azza wa knows best. In terms of its uh, revelation, whether it's a Makki or Madani surah, then it is a Makki surah by Ijma'. It is a Makki surah by Ijma' by consensus of the scholars, meaning that it was revealed before the Hijrah. And from amongst the scholars who mentioned that it is a Makki surah is Ibn Hazm and Al Imam Al Baghawi and Ibn Kathir and Al Siyuti, Rahimahumullah. All of them in their tafsir, they mentioned that it is a, uh, a Makki surah. And others actually went a step further. And they said not only is it a Makki surah, but it is by ijma' by consensus and agreement of the scholars of tafsir, a Makki surah. From amongst those who said that was Ibn al-Jawzi. He said in his uh, tafsir, Makkiyatun kullaha bi ijma'ihim. It is all of it, a Makki surah by consensus, by ijma'. And Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah ta'ala said something similar. Wa hiya Makkiyatun bi ijma'in min al-mufassirin la khilafa baynahum fi thalik. It is a Makki surah by ijma' of the scholars of tafsir, and there is no difference of opinion amongst them concerning this, right? Which shows to you just as a side point that one of the uh, usages of the word ijma', there's ijma', which is basically consensus amongst all of the scholars of the ummah, right? That's one type of ijma'. Another ijma' that you will find in the books of the scholars is the ijma' of, a, of the scholars of a science, like Ibn Atiyah does here. This is the ijma' of the scholars of tafsir. So he's not referring to other scholars outside of the field of tafsir or that are, that are known to have writings in tafsir or to have a great deal of input in the science of tafsir. Uh, he's not referring to them, he's referring to the scholars of tafsir, right? And that's also a type of ijma' and that's something which you find often, right? And it is still an, a type of ijma', no doubt, that is, it is still type, a type of consensus, but it doesn't have the same meaning or the same level or the same weight in the sharia as general ijma'. Ijma' generally, as we know, is one of the sources of legislation in our religion. If all of the scholars or the companions, for example, of the time or all of the students or all of the scholars of a generation agree upon a single issue, that is ijma' and it is a source of legislation. You can take that as an evidence in our religion and in our sharia. 
This is different, right? You don't use this as an ijma' in that way, but it basically means that there's no difference of opinion, and so it still has its strength in, in the context in which it is mentioned. Similar uh, to Ibn al-Jawzi and Ibn Atiyah in mentioning this issue of ijma' in terms of the revelation of this surah as an Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahullah, in his Fath al-Qadir, in his tafsir, he said, It is a Makki surah without there being any difference of opinion. So let us begin with the first verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Alam nashrah laka sadarak. Did we not relieve your heart for you? O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That is the translation of Professor Abdul Halim. Did we not relieve your heart for you, O Prophet? Mufti Taqi said, Have we not caused your, your bosom to be wide open for you? And Muhsin Khan said, have we not opened your breast for you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? And in the uh, Sahih International Translation, did we not expand for you, O Muhammad, your breast? There is, uh, I just want you to look at those wordings if you have it open in front of you, but even if not, the difference between uh, three out of the four, right? So three of them kind of agree, Mufti Taqi, have we not caused it to be wide open? Have we not relieved your heart for you? Have we not expanded your breast for you? Muhsin Khan says, have we not opened your breast for you, right? And opening and relieving are two different things, right? They, they can mean uh, generally the same thing, but perhaps uh, he has a different uh, position in terms of the tafsir that we will mention. Because there are two types of opening, right? When you open something in, in this type of context, when you speak about the heart or the chest being open. One would be a physical opening, right? Where you physically open someone's chest, you physically operate on their heart, you physically open their body. And the other is a spiritual meaning, which is basically to relieve, right, to enlighten, to, uh, to, to bring tranquility and inner peace. That is a spiritual or a metaphorical type of opening. But then you have the literal type of opening, right? And that's interesting in, in those translations. And as we've said before, those translations are often a selection of tafsir, right? The translator has basically chosen a tafsir and used that as the basis of their translation of the meanings of the verses. And the reason why it's interesting is because we will see uh, that both of them have their place in the uh, the positions or the uh, views of the scholars of tafsir, right? That, there are both actually both of them, the physical opening and the spiritual opening. Both of them have their have their place. Sheikh Muhammad Al Amin Al Sharqiti, rahimahullah Taala, as I just mentioned when we were speaking about the last verse of Surah Al-Teen, when we said Alis Allahu bihakamil hakimin. He mentions the same point here at the beginning of this surah because it is actually beginning with another double double negative. When Allah Azza says, Alam nashrah, a is a question. Did we lam not? Right? Did we not? So it's a question which opens it up to be negated. Because you when you ask a question, people can apply the affirmative or the, or the negative. And the lam is a negation, not. The double negative, as Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin ta'ala says. It is to show that actually the principle is being affirmed. So when Allah says, did we not open for you your chest or relieve for you your chest or expand for you your chest? Actually what Allah is saying is that indeed we did open for you or relieve for you or expand for you your chest O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And similar verses in the Quran would be, أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِكَافِنَ عَبْدَ Right, a number of verses that have that double negative at the beginning, right? and that's an important point to remember because sometimes, otherwise, it can be it can become confusing in terms of understanding the meaning of the verse. So, in English, we would probably call it a rhetorical question. 
right? But actually, our rhetorical question sometimes doesn't have the same depth as what this is. Because Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin, he says in Arabic, it is called istifhamun taqririyun li taqriril ithbat. It is a question that is actually posed in the, in the context or in that form with the express purpose of affirming a principle. So it is a question and a negation in the way that it is done. The double negative is there to expressly affirm a principle. So the principle being affirmed here is actually the blessing that Allah Azza bestowed upon our Prophet وسلم, in terms of the of the expansion of his chest uh, that, that will be mentioned in a number of, uh, of, 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 of verses. It's also reported on some of the scholars uh, such as Umar ibn Abdul Aziz uh, and Ata' the famous scholar of Tafsir uh, that they would consider Surah Al-Duha and Surah Al-Sharh to be a single Surah. And they would often read them together as a single Surah. And there is no doubt, by the way, that if you've not, that, you know, as we're studying this Surah and as we go into Surah Al-Duha, but even if we just to look at the translation of the meanings of these two verses, of these two Surahs, you would see a very close uh, link between them in terms of their message and in terms of, because in one Allah Azza wa is speaking about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam not being, uh, not being forsaken, right, in Surah uh, Allah Azza wa mentions this and he mentions his blessings upon him and then Allah mentions in Surah Al-Shah one of the greatest if not the greatest blessing that Allah Azza wa gave to the Prophet which is that knowledge and that prophethood that was bestowed upon him Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam there is definitely a clear link right and we already mentioned an example of this where there was a difference of opinion amongst the scholars as to whether a surah that we consider now to be two surahs was in fact one can anyone remember we already did this in some of the surahs that we've already covered. Uh, there was another example of this. Can anyone remember where we said that some of the scholars considered those two surahs to actually be one? So like here, where they say Surah Al-Duha and Surah Al-Shara is actually one. Right? There's another example that we gave of this. Can anyone remember what that is? The most uh, famous example, while, you, while you're thinking of that, yeah, very good, mashallah. Al-Feel and Al-Quraysh. Al-Feel and Quraysh. Right? And I was going to say exactly what Samira just mentioned, that the most famous example of this, if you want to find a famous example, is Anfal and Tawbah. Anfal and Tawbah among some of the companions were considered to be a single surah. Right? A single surah. Whereas uh, Quraysh and Feel, even though it's mentioned, it's not the uh, you won't find uh, many companions of that opinion. And likewise here as well, Umar ibn al-Raz and Rahimahumullah, they have this opinion, but it's not the the uh, common opinion or the wide opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir right it is not the wide opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir and one of the reasons why they said that there is a similarity number one is because of the meaning number two also because of the style because in this surah allah azawajal says alam right alam nashrah laka sadrak and allah azawajal uses this alam also in surah al-duha alam yajidka yatiman fa'awa right and so some of them said also stylistically it is also very similar um the meaning of this surah, Ibn Abbas, or, uh, of this verse rather, what does it mean when Allah Azza says we expanded your chest? Some of the scholars said that it's referring to the, um, the spiritual expansion, the expansion of having Islam and knowledge and being filled with wisdom and so on. And that was the statement of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. He says, Sharah Allahu sadrahu Islam. Allah expanded the chest of the Prophet وسلم, with Islam. And Al-Hasan al-Basri rahimahullah ta'ala said, Malaanahu hilman wa ilma. Allah Azza wa Jal says when he says that we expanded your chest, meaning that we filled it with patience and with forbearance and with knowledge. And Muqatil rahimahullah ta'ala said, Wasa'anahu ba'da diqi. 
we made it expanded or we expanded it after it was restricted because through that knowledge and through that ability to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through prophethood that was given to him sallallahu alayhi wasallam it expands and it becomes wider but also you will find in a number of the books of tafsir that at uh, in the tafsir and in the commentary of this particular verse they mention the physical opening of the chest of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam as well just out of interest how many times was the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's chest opened by jibril alayhi salam by the angel how many times is established in the sunnah that his chest was opened sallallahu alayhi wasallam how many times in the sunnah do we have that his chest was opened sallallahu alayhi wasallam right two times two times that is authentically reported the first of them is when he is a young child sallallahu alayhi wasallam and is in the care of his uh, of, of of harima and the second time is during the night journey the sran the miraj the first time is uh, mentioned in the narration of Imam Ahmad in the narration of Anas ibn Malik an, that he says that the Prophet وسلم, was visited by Jibreel السلام, whilst he was a child and he was playing with, uh, with, with other young boys. And this is when he was with in, in the tribe of Bani Sa'd and he was with Halima. Halima was his witness as the Arabs was the common practice that the women of the Arab of the of the Bedouin tribes would come to the cities like Mecca and they would take children, right? They would take the, the, the young children and they would breastfeed them and they would look after them and they would uh, teach them the ways of the Bedouin Arabs, meaning in terms of the fasaha, in terms of the Arabic language, in terms of eloquence, in terms of and it was considered to give them a good uh, upbringing, a good a good start in life, right? Give them that desert air and that desert environment and so on is something which the Arabs did commonly amongst the noble the nobility of their children so obviously the poor couldn't afford it because you had to pay for this service right she's not just doing it for free this is their living this is how they would do it and so it was amongst the nobility right and as we know the Prophet is from amongst the nobles of Quraysh so it's not something which you would find the poor doing or the slaves and so on but amongst the nobles it was the practice of that time and so the Prophet went with Halima and he spent with her some time Whilst once he was playing, he says that in this narration that Jibreel came and he put the Prophet down on the ground, meaning he laid him down flat and he opened up his chest and his, uh, his heart and he took from it something. He took from it something he took out and he said, This is the way that shaitan would have overpowered you. This is the portion of shaitan within you. And then he said that he, 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 cl- he cleansed it with water from Zamzam. And then he took him back and he placed him back, meaning that he sealed him again, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Who sees this? The other young children, the other boys. So then those, some of them, they went towards Halima and they tell her that Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, has been killed. The Prophet, has been killed. He's a boy at that time. Muhammad has been killed. Someone's come, he's cut him open. He's dead. So Halima became afraid. Right? Why is she afraid? Because he's under her care, responsibility. Not only that, but he's the son or the grandson of the leaders of Quraysh. Right? He's not just some any random person. So she became afraid and she went running towards him. And she found that he was okay, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He found She found him just simply there and he was okay. But she could tell that something had taken place. And because of how she afraid she was that maybe something again will happen or someone may come back and so on, then she returned him back to his family in Mecca, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right? This isn't considered a sign of prophethood as such. It is a sign of prophethood as we know now. But at the time, the people didn't know. And nor is it something witnessed by an adult. 
witnessed by children, right? And, you know, maybe perhaps she thought that it's something which, you know, children are, are sometimes creative in their imagination, sometimes they exaggerate in what they say, perhaps. And Allah Azza wa Jalla And similar to it is the story that we have of when the Prophet went with his uncle Abu Talib uh, and they went towards a sham and they met the monk and the monk saw the seal of prophethood on the Prophet and he said to Abu Talib, this is the man who is going to be a prophet and if you take him to sham and the Christians find out and so on, they're going to kill him and the Jews and so on. So send him back and so Abu Talib did so. Right? These are signs that something is going to take place. But is it a sign of prophethood? Did Abu Talib, does that even make him a believer in, despite the fact that he was there at that time or whatever it is? No, not necessarily. But clearly as we know later on though, it is a sign from Allah in terms of preserving and, and protecting the Prophet That's mentioned often in this in this uh, particular, in the tafsir of this particular verse. And similar to it is what is mentioned as Ibn Hajj mentions the narration of, in a Tirmidhi and Al-Hakim. In the second time in which this happens to the Prophet which is on the night journey. And the night journey as we know is when the Prophet is sleeping in his house in Mecca. And the angel Jibreel comes to him. One of the first things that he does before they even embark upon the journey is that he opens him up and he washes his heart with the water of, of Zamzam. Right? He washes his heart and purifies him with the water of Zamzam. Then he seals him up and then they embark upon this journey. The night journey is we know they go to Jerusalem and they go to the heavens as we know the famous story. Right? So this is also a type of expansion of the chest. And these two, uh, if you understand these two uh, narrations that you find in these books of tafsir, actually helps you to understand uh, some of the other uh, narrations that you find in the sunnah, uh, in the description of the Prophet ﷺ, when the Prophet ﷺ would sometimes, for example, when he's speaking about uh, the fact that every one of us has a shaitan, a devil within us, and that shaitan runs in our, in our bodies where that, that blood flows in the veins. And then they would say, what about you, O Messenger of Allah? And the Prophet says, even me, except that I, that Allah gave me the power to overpower him, meaning gave me the ability to overpower him, and now it only commands me to do that which is good. Right? Or in one narration, the Prophet even said, for Aslama, that my shaitan accepted Islam, meaning that it only commands what is good, because Allah gave me that ability to overpower him. Right? And so when in this uh, first narration of, of, of Imam Ahmad in his Musnad of Anas radiallahu an, when Jibreel is cleansing him, what does he take out from him? He says, shaytani This is your shaytan. Right? This is the shaytan or the part of shaytan that he would have had in you, meaning the capacity to commit that type of sin, especially the major sins and to do those types of things that would, would take away from the integrity and the honor and the trustworthiness and the truthfulness of our Prophet which later then when he does have prophethood or was given prophethood would have caused a big question mark over his character and his integrity Jibreel removes that portion of him which then shows you because this is very important and the reason why I'm dwelling on this is because it relates to what comes later now because in verse 2 what does Allah say uh, and we have removed from you your sin, the word wizr. What does it refer to? There's a, a difference of opinion amongst the scholars with tafsir. If it is sin, what sin did the Prophet commit? Right? And we know that Allah safeguards the Prophets of Allah from committing shirk and from doing those types of things. How does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do that? That is done because Allah gives them the ability or gives them the, uh, you know, He gives them, so, uh, He gives the, 
the prophets that type of uh, sanctuary, like he makes, he safeguards them from having to commit or from being able to commit shirk, right? From being able to commit shirk. And so that's something which is important to remember because it will relate very closely to verse number two, inshallah ta'ala, when we come onto it. And so the Prophet as we know, is not someone who therefore committed shirk, right? Not someone who committed shirk in his lifetime, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Nor was he someone who committed a major sin, as we know. So we know, for example, that the Prophet sallallahu wasallam never drank alcohol, never committed zina, never committed murder, right? Even though amongst the companions there are those people who did some of those things, right? Some of them authentically reported, some of them we don't know if they're authentic or not, right? So... Uh, sorry, was there a problem with the the, the broadcast? You're saying that it was frozen and so on. Okay, we didn't hear you after, which then shows you. I don't remember what yani, what that was referring to. But what I... Um, okay, so let me just backtrack slightly. What I was saying is when Jibreel salam takes from the Prophet Sallam that portion from his heart that he says that this is the portion of shaitan within you, what does that show? It shows that the Prophet is safeguarded from committing major sin and shirk. Right? And that then allows you to understand that the Prophet would say that Allah has given me the, the power to uh, the ability to overpower the qareen, the shaitan that was that is within me, then that's something which uh, which we also understand the meaning of that then in light of these uh, of these evidences around these narrations. So the Prophet never committed shirk. Right, he never drank, he never stole, he never committed zina. Allah Azza wa safeguards him from that. Right? Safeguards him from that. And this will have a direct link and correspondence to when we come on to the verse of the next, uh, the tafsir of the next verse. And the word wizard, what does it mean? Which generally is translated as being sin right? or as being some type of a burden. Right? What does that actually refer to? What is the sin of the Prophet that is being referred to here then? If it is sin, that that verse or that word necessarily means. And so Allah safeguards the Prophet He safeguards him in terms of making him from amongst those people who never committed shirk. So the Prophet never worshipped those idols. He never prostrated before them. He never made dua to them. He never sacrificed to them. He never called out to them. Allah safeguarded him from that as well as, as we know, from those other major sins and the vices that were present in the city of Mecca. In fact, perhaps the most that you will find in the narrations of the seerah is what is mentioned when the reconstruction of the Kaaba is taking place. As we know, the, the Quraysh, they decide that they're going to rebuild the Kaaba. And as they are rebuilding the Kaaba, the Prophet is assisting as all of the young men of Quraysh and the people of Quraysh were doing. And so he was carrying stones upon his shoulders, the stones that would become the building blocks of the Kaaba. And so the Prophet in that narration, it said that his uncle Abbas, Radiallahu anhum and radiallahu an said to him, Why don't you take off your lower garment and place it upon your shoulder and put the stone upon? Because the person doesn't have a top garment, it's hot and it's manual labor. Take off your bottom garment, put it on top of your shoulder, put the stone on top of that. The stone on top of that so that it's easier for you to carry, right? And it's you know kinder upon your skin and upon your shoulder. So the Prophet did so. And when he was exposed, he fainted. He fainted وسلم, and then he was taken back. Now, whether that's an, an authentic narration or not, Allah knows best. I don't know from the top of my head right now whether that is an authentic narration or not. But either way, that's perhaps the most that you will find in the books of Sirah. 
but anything more than that in terms of drinking or committing zina or anything like that, that's something which you will not find in any of those books because Allah Azza wa preserved the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam from that. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Al-Imam Al-Tabari, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he says in the tafsir of this verse, he says that Allah Azza wa says to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, reminding him of his many favors and blessings upon him Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the good that he did towards him, meaning the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that are specific to him, that therefore he should thank Allah Azza wa for specifically as well. Because this type of, of um, you know, what is mentioned in these opening four verses, then that is something which Allah Azza wa speaks to specifically as being from the favors that Allah Azza wa gives to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Right, so it is a specific favor. And that's why as we will come on to inshallah when we conclude the tafsir of this verse that the, the, the strongest opinion is in the tafsir of this verse that the sharh or the expansion or the widening of the chest or the opening whatever you want to call it refers to both forms the physical and the spiritual. Right? And that's why both are mentioned. They are not contradictory but each of those scholars is speaking about one element. In fact both are what is being mentioned here because both are from the uh, the blessings that Allah Azza wa gave to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so yes, someone may ask, but that's not something specific to the Prophet because of the, many people are guided to Islam, right? Many people are guided to Islam and because of that they're enlightened or because of that they, they find inner peace and tranquility and so on. And we know that Allah Azza wa says in the Quran, uh, Whoever Allah Azza wa wants to guide, he opens their heart towards Islam. Right? That's something which isn't just specifically for the Prophet it's for everyone who follows that path. But actually no, there's an added meaning here that does make it specific to the Prophet and that is the physical opening of the heart, the cleansing of the heart as Jibreel did with the Prophet on not one but two separate occasions to him and that's why Imam Al-Tabari says reminding the Prophet of the many favors and blessings that he bestowed upon him specifically just like in Surah Al-Duha right because they're very similar Alam yatiman fa'awa. did Allah not find you as an orphan and he took you in and he found you misguided and guided you and he found you poor and he, and he gave you wealth or he enriched you Meaning that this is, these are specific reminders to the Prophet about his own condition. And the point of benefit that we take from that is that it is one of the greatest ways of showing humility and humbleness before Allah, of being able to make shukr and thank Allah and praise Him, is to be reminded and to remind yourself of the many favors that Allah has blessed you with, has blessed, uh, blessed you with. The favors that Allah bestows upon you are one of the greatest signs that Allah gives to you in terms of the need for you to worship Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah is displaying this with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Imam al-Tabri then concludes and he says, so that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, so that you may show to Allah that reward, for, uh, sorry, that gratitude and thankfulness for the blessings that He passed, uh, that, that He bestowed upon you. لِيَسْتَوْجِبَ بِذَارِكَ الْمَزِيدَ مِنْ so that Allah in return will give to you even more. He will increase you in even more. And then he says, Alam nashrah lak. Did we not expand for you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, using guidance and iman and knowing Allah Azza wa right? As Allah Azza wa says elsewhere in the Quran, Ma tadri mal kitabu iman. You never knew what the book was. You didn't know what iman was. Speaking to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
but we are the ones who give that as a light. نَهْدِي بِهِ مَنْ نَشَاءُ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا And we give it to whomsoever we will from amongst our servants. So did we not expand for you using guidance and iman and coming to know Allah Azza wa and the truth? Your chest sadraq and so we softened your heart and so it was able to take in that knowledge and wisdom that Allah gave to it and that's very important in order for you to have and be able to retain that information and that knowledge your heart must be soft and if you understand this you understand one of the most amazing statements that you find amongst the scholars when they speak about seeking knowledge which is what? that if you want to be a student of knowledge or you want to retain knowledge you need to sin less the more that you sin the harder it is for you to learn and seek and understand the religion of Allah because knowledge is essentially a light, right? a form of guidance from Allah and the softer your heart becomes through worship and through coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and dhikr of Allah and so on the more able your heart is to retain and take in that information the harder your heart is because you're distant from Allah or you're neglectful of Allah you're heedless from Allah or you engage in less and less good deeds then the harder it is for you to be able to take in that information and to retain it as well. And this is similar to what Imam Al-Tabari is saying this. So if that's the case with the Prophet then no doubt for everyone else, it is even more so the case. And Imam Ibn Kathir, he said, have we not expanded for you your heart or Muhammad and given it a light that will allow it to be open and welcoming and expanded. And this is similar, he says to the verse in Surah Al-An'am that we just said, فَمَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ أَنْ يَهْدِيَهُ يَشْرَحْ صَدْرَهُ لِلْإِسْلَامِ Whomsoever Allah Azza wa wishes to guide, he opens up their heart towards Islam. Right? And the word Sadr, you know, is generally speaking means chest, but actually what it's referring to specifically is the heart, obviously, right? So when you say the chest, it doesn't just generally mean the chest area. What it's specifically referring to is the heart, right? Because that's what the Sunnah and the Quran speaks about. But the word uh, for, for, for chest refers to the heart and refers to the rest of that. But it is obviously the heart that is primarily being referred to. Uh, Sheikh um, Abdurrahman ibn Sa'di, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, that we have opened for you the knowledge of the religion in terms of the rulings of the Sharia and calling to the path of Allah Azza wa Jal and being able to have the best of character and uh, being from amongst those who turns and looks towards the hereafter and we have opened for you the door of making things easy for you in terms of good deeds that you are then able to have that expansion of your chest meaning that it refers to all of this the knowledge of Allah Azza wa Jal calling to the path of Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, acting upon them in terms of good character and, 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 and working for the hereafter and so on. All of this is part of the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expanded his chest. Uh, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti rahimahullah ta'ala, just so that we can conclude this verse in the way that I said that the strongest opinion seems to be in Allah Azza wa knows best, is that it's referring to both. And that's why you find scholars of tafsir that speak about the physical opening of the heart and the chest and those who speak about the spiritual side of this as well. Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin says, You will find that there is a difference amongst the scholars of tafsir as to the meaning of the expansion of the chest, except that there is no contradiction in all of those statements, but actually each one of them complements and completes the other. And that is what the Quran refers to. Right? That is what the Quran shows and the Sunnah shows as well. Because we have no doubt that from 
you know, from the way that Allah Azzawajal opened the chest, there is a physical opening in terms of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But no doubt the way that Allah Azzawajal opens the chest then is that it is filled with knowledge and with Iman and with the light of guidance. And that is how the chest expands, right? That is how the chest expands. And in order for the chest to become constricted, as Allah Azzawajal goes on to say in that verse in Surah, uh, in Surah Al-An'am, وَمَنْ يُرِدْ أَنْ يُضِلَّهُ يَجْعَلْ صَدْرَهُ ضَيِّقًا حَرَجًا and if Allah wishes to misguide someone, then He makes their heart and their chest restricted, compressed, as if they are very high up in the sky. Meaning, because as we know, as the higher we go, the less oxygen there is, and the harder it becomes to breathe. Right? A high altitude, even if you're mountain climbing, it becomes harder to breathe. And so your heart has to pump harder and work harder, and so your chest feels that pain and that constriction. And that is from the ways that Allah speaks about this issue hundreds and hundreds of years before people knew it to be a scientific fact. But either way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this, right? And you see that amazing, like uh, the way that Allah illustrates for us both of those people who have the inner tranquility and peace and their heart is open, as opposed to those whose heart is compressed because of the disbelief or the misguidance that they are upon and Allah knows best. And so it seems that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best that the meaning of alam nashrah laka sadraq, even though it is no doubt speaking about the spiritual side and the iman and, and, and whatever else, it is also referring to specifically in terms of the Prophet wasallam, the physical opening of his heart and his chest as well, as was done twice, once in his childhood and once on the night of the night journey of, of the night of Isra and Mi'raj. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Okay, so let's take some questions inshallah ta'ala and then we can conclude for today. Any higher wisdom why the word sadr and aqalb was used? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best in terms of what it is. But it may be because of that, that feeling. The feeling of the expansion right, that, that you find, the actual physical feelings, even if it is the heart that is expanded. But the actual feeling that you find isn't in the heart, it's in the whole chest, right? So it's your lungs and the way that you breathe and so on. And that's why that verse in Surah Al-Am also uses the word Yashrah Sadrahu, right? Yashrah Sadrahu, Lil-Islam. وَمَنْ يُرِدْ أَنْ يُضِلَّهُ يَجْعَلْ صَدْرَهُ In both circumstances, those whose hearts are open, those whose hearts are misguided, Allah uses the word chest because actually where you feel the effects of that, even though it is the heart, that takes the guidance or rejects the guidance, it is the chest that feels the effects of that in terms of its pain and constriction or the opposite, and Allah knows best. If the first opening of the heart was to cleanse the Prophet from any influence of shaitan, what was the purpose of the second? It is a further cleansing, right? It is a further cleansing. And just because you are cleansed once doesn't mean that you can't be cleansed again, like the way that we make wudu and so on and so forth. So it is a secondary cleansing that was given to the Prophet and perhaps and Allah knows best that the reason for that is because this time Allah is actually going to meet Allah as opposed to the first cleansing is in the dunya. This is now actually, you know, just as we make tahara before we pray or we make tahara before we make tawaf when we go and make Kaaba. Now the Prophet is actually going to meet Allah in person, right? Physically himself, meaning to the heavens. And perhaps that is also one of the reasons and Allah knows best. Warda uh, asks, what is the difference between afwahihim and alsinatihim? Afwah and alsina, alsin is the uh, plural of the word tongue. Afwah refers to the mouth, right? Uh, refers to the mouth, and one is referring to the tongue. 
I feel like a huge weight was lifted from me and I could stand up straight once I became Muslim and started wearing the hijab. Such relief compared to constriction from before, alhamdulillah. And that is the blessing that Allah Azza wa gives, right? And there are less, you know, and we shouldn't take that for granted because there are many Muslims, despite having Islam, that won't have actually that type of inner peace and tranquility because of the lack of their practicingness or their knowledge or their, their connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's not something which should ever be taken for granted. And it's not just something which is a switch that as soon as you become Muslim, you get it and there's no, you know, you don't get anything else. But there are, as we know, levels to Iman and Iman increases and decreases and becomes stronger and weaker. So it's something which we constantly need to be able to uh, work upon. And Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep us all firm upon his religion and make us from amongst those whose hearts have tranquility and inner peace. So inshallah ta'ala, we're going to stop here today. And what we will do inshallah is I will... Hopefully in the next couple of days, uh, sort out something in regards to the Telegram group. So for this uh, class that we're going to do, inshallah ta'ala. So that's not going to be on the QP portal, right? It's not going to be in the way that we normally do this. It's going to be a Zoom class that will also then, inshallah, be linked to a YouTube channel. So for everyone else, they can watch it on YouTube. For those of you that actually want to be in the class and that way you can ask and you can stop me if you don't understand something, whatever, then that's something, inshallah ta'ala, which you can do through that Zoom class, inshallah ta'ala as well. Because as we know, Zoom will allow you to speak. Uh, and so we can hear one another rather than just having to type. So let's inshallah ta'ala stop there and inshallah ta'ala I will see you all next week. Barakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.